0: Created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is noontime here on Fireside, and uh, this is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. I take great pride in pr- making this show as relevant for higher education professionals and for those who have a keen interest in U.S. higher education. And please, please be sure to follow me, Dr. Laura DeVoe, right here on Fireside, and uh, you'll be tuned in to all my future shows. Today, Uh, We have a show, it's a special show, about how we are supporting Ukrainian and Russian members of our communities uh, here in higher ed. Uh, But before we get into today's topic, we are going to start with some news that we are watching. Um, New York State uh, joins other uh, states, including Colorado and Connecticut, in attacking legacy and early decision admissions. A bill was introduced on Wednesday in the New York assembly and Senate to bar public and private colleges in the state from offering either legacy admissions preferences or early decision colleges that violate the law would be fined 10% of the tuition and fee revenue paid by enrolled freshmen. The prior year, the funds collected from the fines would go to low income students in the form of financial aid and scholarships. Um, Also this week, uh, coming to us through Higher Ed Dive, we are not going to stand by idly. Uh, Secretary of Education Cordona says amid growing transgender athlete bans, Uh, Iowa joins a growing number of states banning the participation of transgender students on athletic teams that align with their gender identity. States, including Idaho, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas have all passed similar legislation. Additional states have proposed the idea. Iowa's iteration of the law would ban transgender girls from participating in sports teams at public and private schools, as well as at community colleges and four-year colleges and universities. The state's move comes after President Joe Biden and the U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona made clear that their support of LGBTQ+ plus students is paramount. Uh, we have a final story which gets us into today's topic uh, comes to us from Arkansas, uh, sorry, from Arizona out of the Chronicle of Higher Education. Public universities is in Arizona this week joined a handful of other nationwide that said they would sell their Russian assets after Arizona Board of Regents vote on Monday. The move is largely symbolic, but excuse me, the move is largely symbolic, but board members see it as an important demonstration of their disapproval of President Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine. Uh, So every week uh, when we have our show, we always lead with some important stories and I want to thank everyone here. If you're new to fireside, let me give you a quick update in terms of how to use the app and be able to participate in today's show on the bottom of your phone or your iPad, whatever device you are using, using, you're going to see three buttons. The button in the far left corner is a black dot that we call a hamburger. When you click on the hamburger, you can actually uh, use that to broadcast to the world. If you click on that uh, button, that allows for you to share your uh, participation in the show on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or any of your other social media platforms that might be linked to your phone. Um, you can also, uh, use that as a way to request, uh, to come up on stage, or actually if you click on the transcript button that allows for closed captioning, if that would, uh, benefit your experience today. In the middle of your phone, at the bottom, you can actually see a microphone. Uh, That means that you can request to come on up on stage and ask a question. And then finally, in the lower right-hand corner, there's a reaction button. If someone on the uh, panel uh, puts forth uh, some information and you want to give them some kudos, either applause or a thumbs up or something of that nature, you can use the react button. Uh, And so here we go. We are going to start today's show every uh, every week. It is a honor to bring you Topics of note in higher education and current trends and new information to ponder. So please be sure to not only follow me here, but also reach out to me. I will give you all my contact information in a moment, uh, which will scroll in the middle of your phone on the fortune cookie, and that will allow for you to subscribe and follow me um, on other social media platforms, as well as subscribe to my newsletter. Um, so today, uh, today's topic is uh, focusing on our discussion on how campuses are serving Ukrainian and Russian students, faculty, and staff. We're joined by higher education professionals from a diversity of campus sizes and types, including Northeastern University, Boston University, Champlain College in Vermont, and the University of Maine. Um, I am uh, going to introduce all of our, our uh Participants, Orlena Boteva is uh, from the Director of International Programs at the University of Maine. Uh, Orlena oversees international recruitment and admissions, education abroad, international students and scholar services, and the Intensive English Institute. She holds two master's degrees in higher education and history from University of Maine and a B.A., in international relations from american university in bulgaria she's pursuing her phd in educational leadership at the university of maine orlina welcome to the show and thank you for being here uh we have keen cahoon from Northeastern University. Keen has been a professional in the field of student affairs for 26 years. She currently works at Northeastern in Boston as the Director of Student Support and We Care. In this role, she and her team work with Northeastern University students worldwide and at all levels of study should they encounter challenges that may affect academic progression. She, this involves coordinating support and resources from both within and outside the university Prior to joining Northeastern as an assistant director of residential life, Keen worked at several local institutions and a number of positions within residential life and housing. All of her positions have allowed her to work very closely with various campus offices and departments to aid in the service to students and success. Uh, we have Jessica Karki. Um, she is from Champlain College in Vermont and has been in the field of international education since 1992. She started as a student assistant in the school for international studies in her second year and her undergraduate studies at St. Michael's College and fell in love with the field. She has held positions at Middlebury College, St. Michael's College, Community College of Vermont, and SUNY Plattsburgh. She is currently the director of Office of International Student Services at Champlain College. And in this position, she is a one-person office for ISSS and an area expert in the field of international admissions, recruitment, student services, and international alumni relations. She is responsible for the entire life cycle of international students and exchange visitors from admissions to graduation and beyond, which means she has basically a 10-year relationship with each of these students. And finally, from Boston University, uh, Ken Elmore, who has known me since I was 18 years old. Um, Ken is the Associate Provost and Dean of Students at Boston University, oversees the Hensive, uh, Student Affairs area, and is the Chief Student Affairs Officer there. Uh, so welcome, everybody. I am absolutely blessed to have you here, and thank you, everyone in the audience, uh, for being here. Um, I want to start this uh, with a opportunity for each of you to provide listeners with an understanding of what your community makeup is at this time. um, And how are you responding to predominantly to students, uh, or do you have uh, rec- Ukrainian and Russian staff and faculty who are seeking support as well? I'm going to start with Orlina on this, and then I'll work my way down the panel. So Orlina, tell us what's, uh, what it looks like at the University of Maine right now and what types of uh, folks in your community you're currently uh,
1: servicing. Thank you. Um, we have several, uh, several students, and for privacy reasons, I'm not going to name exactly how many, um, that are from Ukraine and Russia. Uh, we also have several faculty from the region, um, several staff, so again, small population. Um, but we also have community members uh, who, are, um, who have heritage, maybe first or second generation, or may have relatives that are um, from either of the impacted countries.
0: And tell us a little bit about, uh, are they coming to you? Are you reaching out to them? What is that looking like?
1: It's a mix. Um, some, some of the individuals have reached out to us, uh, to, to get support, to have a space to process. Um, but also we as an office have, um, reached out to as many of our, um, students, staff and faculty, including alumni, um, to check in on them, let them know we're thinking of them and also, um to um, see how we can support them personally and uh, for any causes that may be um, championing themselves.
0: Great. Uh, Jessa, I wanna follow up with you. Tell us about Champlain and and how is that looking on your campus?
2: Thank you. Um, So Champlain College has about uh, 25 to 30 international students, exchange visitors, and US domestic students whose main residence is abroad. Mm -hmm. Um, There are about 20 Plus, countries represented in that community. Um, And at this moment, I'm responding predominantly to international students from Belarus uh, and Russia Mm. and U.S. students with Ukrainian heritage and connections. Um, Like Orlina said, there are community members um, outside of the college that are connecting to us um, and asking us um, if they can help our students, which is very sweet and Mm. Very kind of them as well. Um, So, um, and have direct connections to Ukraine. So, those are, that's kind of what's happening right now.
0: Uh, Let's go over to Keen and then we'll go to Ken. So, tell me, Keen, what's going on over at Northeastern?
3: Thank you, Laura. As usual, Northeastern is hopping, um, and we certainly uh, have students that are, are represented from those communities. What we have done um, and we did in early February was some proactive outreach as things were starting to form. Um, and that is something that my office does often. Uh, we do outreach globally because we understand things happen outside of the Boston bubble.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then we sent follow up later in February when things really started to um, to get a little dicey. Mm-hmm. And we're we're working with um, over a hundred students. Uh, that have ties or um, indicate that that is a primary residence for them. And, uh, you know, they are reaching back to us, uh, and we are certainly um, working with several offices on campus to create that, that support network um, so that there are several areas of entry, uh, but we're coordinating our efforts together regarding how we respond and the efforts that we can put in together uh, to truly make them feel supported. Great. And then, uh, Ken, why don't you uh, round this
0: out?
4: Yeah, you know, we sound a lot like everyone else there, especially mm-hmm. with Northeastern in terms of this prolonged outreach that we've been doing. And also just trying to make sure that we stay coordinated in uh, getting uh, help, assistance and assessments. I think a big piece of what we're doing right now is heavy duty assessment. Uh individual students to just try and get a sense uh, as to where they are, maybe not only with their with paying their rent or, or being able to take care of those sorts of things, but uh, particularly for our grad students, where their research is and how that might be interrupted. And as you can imagine, too, it's a lot of trying to allay real, real fears of being um, expelled from the country or... Mm-hmm. Um, just worrying about families. And so there's a lot of work that we're doing in terms of that too.
0: I think it, I'm, I'm not surprised that every campus um, has some of the same qualities. And I think one of the things that was important about pulling this panel together and this show together is to give people an understanding of that you know, crisis management and what happens in times of crisis, uh, you know, you learn from crises uh, from time to time, uh, but no one crisis is the same as the last. And, uh, you know, institutions, depending on their size and depending on uh, their their platform in terms of, are they public? Are they private? Where are they situated? Things of that nature. Uh, are you in a more rural environment? Are you, uh, Uh, deep in the middle of a, of a city? Uh, does that give you a space where you're like, okay, do these opportunities actually provide you with more, um, more resources? Are you a little more backed into a corner? Um, and so I think it's important for all of us to learn from one another and hear from that. Um, I want to draw this attention to you because you actually have a a long, uh, history of, uh, international student support, um, and come from it from an international perspective in terms of your own perspective. Um, talk to me about what does it look like in terms of providing support how do you know uh that the support you're providing is hitting the right note and uh what have you learned from this particular uh situation even in in its very short period of time
1: sure um i want to start with a slightly different comment just to talk a little bit about the identity uh mm. from eastern europe um and um short history lesson as a history major and you need to speak to that is that we really need to be cautious to look only at citizenship in our student data or our faculty data. Um, In uh, the former Soviet bloc and satellite countries like Bulgaria, there were very close ties. There was a lot of intermarriage happening. Um, People have complex family histories. Mm. And so that's very important for us to think that um you know we may not have somebody coded as um a ukrainian student but they may be very very closely tied to the community may have relatives there um and so forth and that goes for any student from that um region and i also want to add in our office we are i would say fortunate <laughs> to have several of us that are um foreign born but also with eastern european heritage mm-hmm. and it's also very important to think uh, a little bit more holistically that Even if somebody is not Ukrainian or Russian, but maybe from some of the other neighboring countries, the mental health uh, toll that this crisis and watching the news and trying to support students um, is really high. Mm, Um, And I have been very uh, fortunate to have colleagues who have been checking in with me, um, but also myself checking in with others who I know are rethinking um the history of the soviet union and the russian empire before that and what would this new uh geopolitical reality mean for um for their own uh or or heritage origins in general um yeah
0: that's an excellent point thank you for bringing that up
1: sure and to ask your more direct question laura um we're we're a small community we have 450 enrolled students um with additional scholars and faculty and so as a team, we know our students quite well. Um, mm-hmm. And my philosophy around student support has always been that personal relationships are really critical. They need to be fostered early and maintained throughout the lifecycle of a student at an institution. Um, and that starts with the admission process um, and is sustained throughout. Um, and those relationships are really important, not when the students are thriving, because then we should be champions, but really when students are in crisis and need support. Um, And um, a lot of the work right now is one-on-one conversations, reaching out over email or social media just to say, I'm thinking of you. What do you need? Let's have a conversation, Mm -hmm. encouraging um, people to connect with mental health resources on campus or off campus. Um, But also working with our alumni. Um, UMaine is very fortunate to have a very outspoken uh, Ukrainian alumna uh, Mm. who's currently in Kiev. She's been very, very vocal, very active politically Uh, reaching out to local media in Maine, um, really helping people based in Maine and the U.S. We think of what activism means and how we engage with our um, elected representatives. If somebody is moved to donate, where do you donate um, Mm. to help the humanitarian crisis? And so it's also important for us to connect with um, students who are uh, looking for support and in getting their message out, um, in a in a civil respectful way. So I'm going to pause here because I'm sure a lot of my colleagues have a lot more to add to this.
0: Well, I think that your comment there about having uh, alumni being able to pull from alumni who might be um, really eyeball deep in it, be able to uh, understand what activism looks like um, in this type of environment, uh, has an opportunity to actually educate your community beyond the students who, are uh, most directly affected. And um, so I appreciate your comment there. I also think that uh, as we are trying to navigate this, uh, this is a, a not only a traumatic experience uh, for those who Um, are directly impacted. But just as you said, um, you know, I have a a very close friend who is Estonian, and uh, this has been a very difficult situation for for her and uh, going through a lot of things in her own head. And so this idea of, you know, the the kind of impact zone of communities that have had to kind of manage uh, this uh, is really interesting and really important for us to consider. I want to turn it to Jessa because Jessa brought up this idea of where people have in the community, um, building off of something Orlina said earlier. Um, about how people in the community around uh, Burlington are trying to uh, provide support. Um, and that is great, but I also know uh, f- from firsthand knowledge of being on a small campus where resources may not be as as broad as some other institutions, when you're trying to juggle the needs of the community while at the same time people off campus are trying to help, um, sometimes it's, it's a struggle. Jessa, have you been able to kind of manage that? Has it been overwhelming at any time and is it pulling your attention away from the students who need it?
2: I don't I don't think it's pulling our attention away from the students. I think it's pushing our attention into our students, which is how I like to think about this. You're very um positive. I, I think, I,
4: like that. <laughs> I, I,
2: think um, I think that it it you know a student who feels that not only is their college behind them, but also that their community and that their city Mm-hmm. that they're studying in is behind them, I think is incredibly impactful on, as Orlina was saying, on their mental health, but also on the fact that they know that there are people outside and inside of the college that are ready and willing to do anything that they can to support our 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 students who are going through this this war. Um, and in this case, uh, for us as at Champlain, uh, Orlina, this goes directly to your point, uh, we absorbed international admissions um, and that whole process to create that that continuous uh, line of care um, so that it's through the recruit, it's actually through the recruitment process. So the, the first face that they see is me. The last face that they see is me, mm. <laughs> right? So there's this continuous care that is from the very first event that they show up to or email that they send um, and all the way through till we're out beyond graduation and doing cool stuff in the U.S. Um, And I do agree that that type of approach creates this holistic care Mm. for our students where in which we're supporting the social the academic, the immigration, the financial issues that sort of surround our students. And and we come up with viable options for our students because we know who our students are. Um, And what's even a plus of that is with a very small population like Champlain's, we get to know the grandparents, the parents, the aunties, the uncles, the cousins twice, three times, four times removed, um, and such and so forth. So that also brings more community to that one student who might mm-hmm. be just really having a problem. But at, at this point, um, uh, to your point, uh, Laura, it's been very interesting for us um, because we do have offers outside of the college asking us what we need, what we need. We have been redirecting them, if you will, to sort mm-hmm. of the um, the humanitarian organizations that are on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, that could use support um, because I think for at least the small group of students um, at this point, we have it well in hand. At least I feel like the college has it well in hand and I feel like our office has it well in hand. However, not to say that our, if it ever becomes out of hand and we do need help that our outside community will just jump right in. Um, One of the things that we are, And I don't know if my panelists feel the same way at this point, but I think um, right now we are really focused on um, the buying of U.S. dollars and making international payments obviously have become very, very difficult in the region. Um, And so we're really focusing on that financial stability at this point. Um, We're applying for emergency funding from the Institute of International Education. We're helping students find on-campus jobs, securing emergency housing for potentially the summer months. Because mm-hmm. uh, so we're thinking ahead, you know, in terms yes. of like, yep, okay, yep. Yep, um, yep. And, and thinking about programming during the summer when we're normally not here, but when we're going to be here because we're going to have students that are going to be staying with us and then sort of pulling materials for that, for maybe applying to USCIS for other benefits if we can't seem to secure enough monies to keep our students Um Additionally, as Orlina says, we're focusing on that mental health. One thing that we've been doing at Champlain that I think is very interesting, and this also includes our outside community, is by doing a student dialogue mm-hmm. um, in the office itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this allows, um, the last one that we had was about like 10 countries that sort of came together and and talked and and just spoke together. And this included um you know, different uh, students from all kinds of walks of life. But it was interesting that there were 10, at least 10 countries represented um, in the yeah. room. Um, and I thought that was really successful in terms of just hearing each other out. Um, but we're also trying to keep our eyeball on keeping the developing events in the war in Ukraine, keeping those central to our community, our campus discussion and promoting events that and programming that allows us to kind of, Not have the American eye drift off of what's really happening in in Ukraine um, and trying to keep it focused there so that so that our students feel supported and feel like they, they can do this so far from home.
0: That's I I love when you bring in this idea of the dialogue and making sure that people are feeling like they're being heard, but also educated as to what's going on um, and they can pull from each other in terms of support. Keen, I saw you took yourself off mute earlier. Um, Did you have a point there, especially I think it was around the time that Jessa was talking about the financials?
3: Yes, and, and actually Jessa covered a, a couple of different things that Northeastern has definitely tried to do as well. I think, you know, when you're when you're at a large institution uh such as Ken and myself where there's just, you know, we have different campuses and we have you know, all walks of life that are here. Every effort that we make uh, to to try and make a large community, a large institution feel smaller, like it's a neighborhood, I think mm-hmm. is really, really critical. Uh, and I think we have some amazing opportunities uh, that have been offered at Northeastern thus far. You know, again, trying to be a little bit proactive when things were starting, people were kind of starting to see what could happen, and then, the, you know, immediately jumping into the uh, you know, support mode as soon as things did really start to um, evolve and and get. Pretty serious. Uh, we too have had spaces that have been av- uh, offered for all students to come and share their feelings and show support for our Russian and Ukrainian students. Uh, we are continuing uh, all throughout this week to hold space within our Office of Global Services, uh, lunches, as well as just open office hours where students can walk in. And it's been a very nice thing to see students walking in, especially post COVID when everything was being done remote. And I still think we have some students who uh out of convenience, out of you know, circumstance, will will do things remotely. I, I see students who are walking in and utilizing that that face-to-face time, which I think yeah. is critical. Um, you know, financially we try to do some anticipatory, uh take some anticipatory steps around protection on uh accounts and making sure there are no penalties, no in- Uh, additional barriers that would be Mm -hmm. placed around registration, around some basic needs with food, being able to add meal plans, things like that. Um, So I'm I'm really proud of the steps that Northeastern has taken and that we're looking to continue to take. We're heading into spring break as of um, not soon enough today. And, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be looking to really kind of revamp again over the course of spring break and when students are back. Um, and I think again, to what Justice said, we want to keep the focus on what's happening in, in the society in which we live. Everything is fast paced. We're on to the next, we're on to the next, but this is not going away and we need to make sure that our students know that.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm going to, uh, invite people, if you have a question for the panel, please, uh, please request to come on up to the microphone and uh, be sure to ask a question. Um, uh, Ken, what do you've got for me?
4: You know, I I think one of the things that I hope people see is we we talk a lot about what the work is and, you know, why we do this work in student affairs and, and it's been tough and everything else. But, you know, here's the work and I hope people see it. And and it's, it's keeping up with world events. It's Mm. making sure that you know, student affairs is, is at that forefront of coordinating a lot of these things. Uh, again, Keen and I are at these big places where we've got to make sure that that every hand knows what it's doing. And it's also about thinking ahead. I, everybody has said we were th- we've we been thinking about this since first, first glimpse that this might be a possibility. And we're thinking about, you know, 2023 and, and the fact that we might have to have lifeboats available throughout that. Uh, I also hope that folks are seeing too, that we've all had to think about not only rapid response in terms of caretaking, but also rapid response in terms of education too. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. That's a really good point. Uh, one of the things that student affairs is often asked to do in student services is, uh, to be the point place, to be the education voice, to be the ones to actually bring civic education and understanding of, of world politics and world impact, uh, to our campus, uh, through the fact that we have the most direct impact uh, with students. And, uh, you know, it, it is the, it's this—it's the face of the students who are directly impacted. There was a, a call from a, con- a member of Congress out in California, Eric Swillwell, uh, earlier in this uh, uh, about a week and a half ago uh, just when things were just starting up uh, calling for us to to uh, deport Russian students and I I immediately uh, got in touch with his office and I said this is not going to help anybody to deport Russian students those Russian students are not the ones who uh, have caused this uh, they are here and uh, and frankly the, and, and I got really down in the in the weeds with him I said the number of Russian students that are in this country is not what you're you're talking about these aren't your oligarchs these are not the people who are really the problem uh in terms of the 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 uh people who are causing this okay these are students here to learn and uh you're you're really barking up the wrong tree uh, but we can have those kind of conversations and we need to put the students first even though it might be a difficult uh discussion
4: and you know laura uh, this is ken and you know, this other thing that we are finding is how much our uh, our Russian students want to show that solidarity, but still have these serious fears about using social media, mm-hmm. uh, about being in public, yep. about being observed and everything else. So it is a really tough circumstance for them, uh, particularly to be in the Boston area where There is a great deal of solidarity, but uh, hard for them to be able to publicly show their distance. And you just hope that the community understands that this is a lot more complicated than uh, just the X's and O's.
0: Yep. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Ken. And and because one of the questions that we've been, been struggling with is this idea of how are we, how are we serving our students? How what does support actually look like? Support can look like financial support, support can look like housing support, support can look like emotional support, but when a student can't feel that freedom of being able to express how they're feeling publicly, that's a lot on them. And uh, being able to support students in these, in this particular uh, challenge uh, goes uh, in a very different way than, than uh, maybe some of the other crises we've had to manage with students. Uh, Keen and then Orlina. Go ahead, Keen.
3: Yeah, Ken, I think you, I think you bring up a, a great point there. Um, and I, I must say that the, After our initial, uh, not the initial outreach at the beginning of February, but after our our outreach to um, Eastern European students uh, about this crisis a couple weeks ago now, the folks that started coming first to us were actually our Russian students, uh, because I think they truly anticipated what was coming when it came to some immediate things that were going to happen. And it it was a a back to back type of statement that I remember from from a couple of the students that I had the opportunity and the pleasure of meeting with, which is, this is not how I feel. I, I am an individual, and I this is not what I want to see happen. This is not what should be happening. And immediately, how is Northeastern going to look at me? As, uh, as a Russian student, are you going to kick me out? What mm-hmm. happens to my visa? What's going to happen? And, and one of the, I don't wanna call, it, it's not a challenge to say this, but I think where some of the challenge comes in is being able to reassure these students that despite what they're seeing outside of the US currently, although uh, you know what that Senator said was uh, very disappointing, but outs- what they're seeing in other places is not how Northeastern is approaching this type right. of thing. And, and I'm clearly hearing that with my colleagues on the panel as well. You are our student. You, In Northeastern's case, you're a Husky. It doesn't matter where you're from. You're a Husky and we are going to treat you like a Husky and we're going to protect you like a Husky. So how can I work with your individual situation? And then how can I help you support others uh, as what you're indicating to me you want to do?
0: Excellent. Okay. orlena and then Jessa.
1: Yes. to build upon what Keen was sharing um along with the support of reassuring the student that there'll be no institutional action because this is the first time, as far as I remember, in the U.S. Uh, for a, an elected um, official to really be calling for the ousting of a particular ethnic group or citizenship group of students. Um, what I have added to that conversation is also explaining the political process and policymaking process in the U.S. Uh, and how complex it is and that um, the, the measure that was proposed would really not um, gather would not gain bipartisan support. I think that was important. Um, But that was important to have that conversation with one particular student who was extremely concerned about um, being expelled and really walking through the immigration process and the protections in place and um, what does an F1 visa mean and Mm -hmm. and what are the next steps around um, options for immigration. I want to make two other comments. Um, um, The way in Eastern Europe... um, Ukraine and Russia perceived outside of the current political situation is that um, the two countries, along with others, I would put my homeland of Bulgaria in that um, in that group, is that um, culturally um, they're very very similar. Mm-hmm. Religion, the dominant religion in both countries is similar. Linguistically, we're all part of the same language group of Slavic languages, so there are many many um, shared um, shared uh, points um, around culture and identity. And uh, the term that came to mind when I first heard of the um, of the invasion was this word um, in a Slavic language. It's called "bratubista Vojna, meaning it's a war that a brother kills a brother. This mm. idea that the two nations are really united in their heritage and culture, and what the political regime um, in place in Russia is doing is really not representative, despite of what we're reading in the news. Um, of how um, culturally the two um, countries have uh, uh, collaborated and have lived next to each other for all of this time. Another story that really resonated with me, I was talking to a group of colleagues this morning and one of the campuses, um, um, one of the individuals um, shared that on their campus, they have uh, Ukrainian Russian students who happen to be one of their sports teams. And that, uh, that friendship and support is really meaningful for all of the students involved um, and how important it is for them to sustain each other, despite where their country falls in this conflict. Um, and that was very important to me to hear when I was a student at the American University in Bulgaria. It was the time when um, Serbia attacked Kosovo mm-hmm. um, and tried to annex that. And I was a student at the time when you know I had classmates from both sides of the both sides of the conflict. And seeing how um, within the student affairs space and residential life, uh, we had dialogues and, um, and and the community was able to really engage in a meaningful conversation of what does this mean and what is identity and what is autonomy and all of these um, theoretical concepts um, around sovereignty was really important. And so that was also one of the um, moments when I said, OK, there's something here. What is this profession? <laughs> yeah. How do you create dialogue of two yeah. nations at war um, that are, you know, individuals sitting in a different place?
0: Thank you. That's great. Thank you, Orlina. And uh, Jessa, what do you got for us?
2: Yeah, I was just, I'm listening to this and I'm fascinated by this. So thank you, Erlina, for sharing those. Um, One thing I I think does help um, uh, not just us reassuring students in our offices or in our divisions or in our departments, but I think it's essential that our leadership of our institutions steps forward and creates that space of understanding for the rest of the college as well too, but also prepares to educate the campus as well. Um, And I think that um, for Champlain just recently, and this is why this office pushed for a central statement on, on you, on the war in Ukraine, because um, we needed, the, the students needed to hear, they needed to hear that, all international students, all students, not just Mm -hmm. our internationals, but all on the campus needed to hear that the college was in support, right? right? In support of their students um, and knew and acknowledged what was happening rather than avoiding to acknowledge Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, acknowledging that it is an actual war and that people are fighting, people are dying, um, and that this is a real thing. Um, and that there are real students on our campus that are, and our and faculty and staff that are uh, impacted directly by this by this war, mm-hmm. um, and so when they finally came out with this this week, I think there was this, at least a sense of relief um, from the students. Um, we can explain immigration two ways to Sunday to students. And say, you know, they're going to have to walk over my cold, dead body in order to get to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, do you know what I mean? But, yeah. but, it, it there's something mm-hmm. really reassuring, I think, about having your college, in the same way that that Kane was talking about this this idea of of wrapping around that support, but even at its highest level and acknowledging what's happening, giving resources to students and faculty and staff on where to go, um, and then providing education uh, for the rest of our campus who is still kind of unsure as to what is really happening. Um, So I wanted to make um, that point um, about having the, the higher administration of, a, of an institution very much involved in this process. Right. Um, and my second one is to have your congressional leadership also singing the same tune Mm -hmm. um, as well. Um, Not uh, just yesterday, in fact, I got a chance to be part of the NASA advocacy day where Mm -hmm. I spoke to Senators Leahy, both the, the offices, congressional offices of both Senator Leahy and Sanders. And one of the points of that was specifically talking about um, the Ukraine uh, talking about Ukraine sorry the Ukraine's not U- the Ukraine it's Ukraine sorry um, okay. and um, and talking about why is it significant why is this event or this con or this this war why is this significant to the students that are on the ground here in the United mm-hmm. States and and how does that impact our state of Vermont right? Yes, um, yes. And so I think that's also something to, Put into perspective, um, as we talk about the, about, uh, about how we're talking about support.
0: Yes, and and you know it, it builds on what Ken said earlier about student affairs can actually be the educators on the ground, be the people bringing uh, the issues to the students, to the community, um, and uh, going to this. I and I applaud you, Jessica, for Jessica, for taking part in the NASPA uh, Hill Days and the advocacy. Um, I've done that twice, and it's really a a very uh, excellent program, uh, gets you in front of people, uh, on the Hill, uh, at the congressional and the Senate level and, uh, or the house and the Senate level. And it allows for you to actually get out there and and talk about the things that matter. Um, in higher education. So I'd encourage people to think about that. And if you've never done it before, uh, you've got my contact information here scrolling in the middle of the screen. Uh, just feel free to reach out and I can get you in touch with the right people at NASPA on that. Um, you know, I want to uh, just kind of tease out, we have a couple more shows coming up in the next few weeks that I want to highlight. Um, and then we'll get on to some questions about um, uh, some of the other aspects of what we're, we're seeing on campus uh, with this particular uh crisis that we're managing. Uh, Next week uh, on Wednesday at our usual time on Wednesday, March 16th at 12 noon, we are having uh, the team from George Washington University, Dr. Sissy Petty, Vice President for Student Affairs, and her team from the Office of Residence Life will be here on the topic of reimagining residence life. Resident assistants have been the front line for residence life for generations. Um, In the fall of 2021, George Washington uh, launched their new residence life staffing model where RAs were no longer part of the equation. What gave GW uh, the uh, the opportunity to make this happen did coincide with the COVID uh, pandemic and the downturn in their housing, um, but how did they actually have the uh, political will um, to go out and try something new? Uh, so we're going to learn about what the first semester of this new program has taught them, and um, Again, that will be uh, this coming Wednesday, March 16th at 12 noon here on Fireside. If you are attending the NASPA conference in Baltimore, I will be there and doing live spots uh, during the conference uh, after uh, various aspects of the conference. You will see me there. Uh, If you are not at, at NASPA, but you want to stay in touch with what is happening at NASPA, Keep an eye here um, on Fireside. Follow me and you will see uh, stand-ups happening throughout uh, the conference right here on Fireside. Um, I will look like uh, your – Man on the Street interview at NASPA, um, and then after that we have a, a bunch of great shows coming up in April, which I will promote uh, as the as the time comes along. A special note about next week's show: uh, it will be a remote show. Um, I will be at Curry College in uh, Milton, Massachusetts, and I will be uh, there with my uh, with a live audience as we are interviewing the folks at GW. And if you would like uh, me to come to your campus and and host a live show with your student affairs division, uh, with people from your higher education program, Uh, please get in touch and we can make that happen as well. Um, so I want to uh, kind of shift our attention. We've talked a lot about students uh, in terms of uh, the student needs and that sort of thing. I want to see if there's uh, anything particular going on um, within your communities as far as it relates to managing uh, issues around research, around uh, funding, around people feeling like this is a, you know an, a continuum. So this could be students as well as faculty. Um, and I'd also like to hear from you if there's anyone out there who is dealing with a, a particular issue around staff um, and how staff may be feeling this. Uh, because as, as several of you have put out, people have family there. And people may be from that environment, may not have lived there for a while themselves, but they may still have family. Um, is there other ways that the communities are uh, supporting your uh, staff and faculty, as well as graduate students, doing research? If you have anything to add to that, like to hear from anyone you can take yourselves off mute if you have anything if not we can move on to a next question then we're going to add on to the next question let's look at the let's look at where we're at in terms of what's coming up uh several of you have brought up the the idea that you know as we're looking to the future uh commencement is going to be here any minute. Um, May is uh, here in a blink of an eye, um, and that means students are going to have to, uh, you know, decide on what's going to happen this summer. Um, As you're kind of considering what the future may look like for your students uh, who are Russian and Ukrainian, what does that look like for you uh, in terms of some future planning? Uh, If anyone wants to share their future planning. I'd love to hear from you, and we can build off of that. Go ahead, Ken.
4: You know, for us, it means that we're looking at a lot of housing, and um, also optional professional training uh, for some of our students. We don't know what the what that will look like, or visas, or those kinds of things. What work will look like? But the other piece too are summer jobs. We've got to uh, get some students in on some of those jobs as well. And then, you know, just a quick note about research, uh, particularly for our doctoral students, our PhD students and others, and even for some of our undergrads, this also disrupts, uh, research efforts that they were thinking about doing too. And we want to try and make sure they're still firmed up on those.
0: Have you heard anything about visas? Are you getting any guidance on that, Ken? Uh, are you getting any information on that? And if anyone else has that, please share.
4: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This morning uh, I was in a meeting and we uh, wanted to see where our uh, our person in Washington was on this. And uh, we're just trying to get a handle. This has been developing, as we all know, so fast and uh, so quickly. So nothing that I can report out yet, but uh, I bet everybody is really trying to look through their governing bodies and uh, their connectors to see where people's hearts are and what we think might be next. Yep, absolutely. Um, Joseph.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, NAFSA, which is not NASPA, but NAFSA, which is the National Association of Foreign Student Advisors, and that's the world's largest nonprofit devoted to international education. um, They held their advocacy day. That's who I attended. So I'm sorry, Sorry I should have been a little more like with the tongue here. It might've been the, it might've been the headphones, but it may have been, but uh, they put out um, the U S department of state um, did. And in some cases, even um, there was an AILA manual brief that went out about non-immigrant visa uh, visas in the region and where to go for them and where to apply for them. So I thought that that was really handy. Uh, It additionally, uh, there was another brief. Uh, there was in that same brief. It was about um, U.S. citizens that had relatives in um, in Ukraine, or even U.S. citizens trying to get out of uh, the region. Uh, it mm-hmm. talks about how to how to process, how to, how to uh, give information that's accurate and how to um, advise or um, direct students or faculty or staff. So that is just wanted to say that out out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in addition to the, um, going back to to Kenneth's point, um, not just the housing, not just the on-campus summer jobs, um, but also looking at our students who are ending OPT and do not right. have STEM OPT coming right behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at graduate schools, like, you know, right, You know what I mean? We're doing, we're mm-hmm. you know, trying to plan for those options. And okay, right. let's see if we can move you into, cause they had anticipated to go home after this. Right. right. And um, so we and, may want to
0: move you directly into a, into a graduate program. Seamlessly. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And they might not have because of this sort of, you know, they, they kind of saw some inklings that something was coming, but maybe, you know, now they're starting to make really concrete plans on going to graduate school and and maybe they're later than normal in applying at this point in time. But so mm-hmm. we are starting that process. I've got letters, requests for letters of recommendation in my mailbox this morning right. um, for graduate programs. So we are looking towards that, um, but then also food assistance Um mm-hmm. Yes. And we do have at Champlain College, we're really lucky. We do have a wonderful um, uh, food operation here called Chauncey's Cupboard. Um, and inside of Chauncey's Cupboard, they have uh, pre-frozen, so there's frozen meals in the refrigerator and then just racks and racks of food for students. So we are planning on pulling together care packages for our folks that are going to be with us for the summer months. And hopefully Chauncey's cupboard will keep stocked as we go through this because I'm sure they're going to be dipping into that as well.
0: Absolutely. I want to shift our attention. I've got two more questions. I want to start one with this idea of, you know, students who are coming from the United States overseas going to Europe for study abroad. I know that since the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of shutdown of international study abroad programs because of that. And because of the travel, I know some of it has opened up since then. Uh, but are, are any of your campuses seen any, um, any desires now to do some planning as as far as your international study abroad is concerned uh, as a result of this invasion? So that's the first question. Then, second question, I'm going to turn it to this idea of uh, conflict, uh, sorry, of, of uh, crisis management and close it out on a crisis management note. But I want to start with the study abroad question. Is anyone out there doing some planning around study abroad? I know Jessa and Orlena, you have some direct impact on that. Keen, I see yourself off mute. Why don't you talk to us about about
3: that. Sure. So I sit on a on a what's called the GSAC committee, um, which is basically the safety and security committee that Northeastern has to assess international uh, travel, whether it's for travel, whether it's for a co-op or internship, a study abroad or our dialogues of civilization, which go out every summer. Uh, so anybody who wants to travel or wants to be involved in a program that is outside of the U.S., um, needs to go through that committee Mm -hmm. since covid happened obviously there the countries that would go on on the high risk uh list um and it it, it's varied and it's gone up and down uh would depend um and you know as we were coming off of that obviously this this conflict has happened so this is something that's reviewed weekly Mm -hmm. um or every other week at, at this committee um and we're obviously just starting to talk about this. Um, we don't have currently any programs that were scheduled to go towards that, but it has been a topic that we have been, uh, that's been on the agenda the last two meetings to, Mm -hmm. to see where we're going. We're still at a go, no go date. We still haven't hit that date yet. It's coming close as to what is going out. What's not. Um, but it, it certainly is on our radar. Um, we haven't knock on wood, had to pull anybody back. Um, and we haven't had anybody who's been working in that region for a co-op at this point, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's certainly on the radar, and, it, and it's a it's a hot topic right. Now. I bet,
0: Olina, oh, I see yourself off mute.
1: I think the the larger conversation right now in education abroad is about how far the how far the refugee crisis will spill in mm. um, into Central Europe and Western Europe and. Uh, while they may not be immediate risk for students that are considering Poland or programs in Hungary or even Czech Republic, um, the question is whether it's ethical for us to be sending students to those locations where um, the social services will be strained, healthcare will be strained, um, and having a U.S. student may um, further strap um, resources, especially larger groups of students who may need um, additional support. Um, we're being proactive and we have a few students who are hoping to go for fall um, to the region, to the central European region, but we are really working with them to redirect just to be cautious. Um, it's early on. They can still pick a different program that has good academic fit um, and um, and not have to disappoint students later on by really um, asking them to pull back. Um, for me, that's a very important ethical conversation within yeah. education abroad, Crisis response risk management. I think we have it down after the pandemic, yeah. um, and and that's an ongoing conversation I think as well to continue benchmarking um, general risk in that region.
0: And you bring up an, a super important point. I want to just you know, put an put an asterisk on on something Orlena just said, which is this idea of you know sending students overseas is it can be a burden to the local folks, okay? It is not something that you just say, we're just going to send people, we're going to keep things, uh, you know, plan. The plan is just going to move forward. And the idea is not just about safety. It's about what is What is this, uh, what are we doing in terms of stewardship, in terms of going to another country and creating, uh, you know, a, a distraction? Are we causing a problem? Uh, we need to keep that in mind. Ken, you, you have yourself off mute.
4: Yeah. And, you know, that also goes with the care that people want to extend by helping. Right. Uh, I'm going over to help. And it's that same sort of thing. You know, are we going to have to t- someone going to have to take care of you and your right. volunteer efforts as well? So right. it's, it's a big question. And I hope people uh, have a little reflection.
0: Yeah, I I appreciate that very much. We've seen it even in our own country when we have students saying, I want to go to a space to help rebuild after a natural disaster or after something like that. And it's like, guys, we got to do this in a safe way. And we want to make sure you're doing things right. We want to make sure you're not inflicting yourself on a community that isn't ready to have you yet. And we want to make sure we're doing it uh, right by the community and right by you, Jessa.
2: I did also want to point out though though that those who are on third party programs have agency to make their own choices of where they mm-hmm. wish to study abroad yes. and whether or not they come home. Right. So I did want to like put that out there because as Dead Bulls advocate, we'd all I know what everybody's saying here is absolutely the way it should be, but we do know that there are third party programs out there yes. where students have complete agency of their own choices and they also need to be signing off on that so that mm-hmm. the college is not liable or and services
0: are not impacted, that type of a an, And from a small college perspective, we had a lot more third-party programs than maybe some of the larger universities do. So thank you for bringing that up as far as uh, that that dynamic. Um, as we close out today, I want to uh, just do a, a quick reflection on something that Orlina, uh brought up. Is that you know we've learned a lot, and uh, and this is actually connected to something Jessa said earlier as well about kind of pulling students through. You know they're graduating from undergrad. Uh, during the pandemic, we knew that if we we may not have been able to send them back home, we may have had to keep them. Is there a way to keep them here, which might have been safer or better for them? They may not have been thinking about graduate school at, right at that moment, but we had to kind of uh, expedite that and help them move that that piece of their lives and their education forward in a, in a uh, faster pace. Uh, we are right now uh, in the middle of of a new crisis on top of an old crisis, um, on top of several crises that we've had to handle over the course of, you know, our lifetimes um, in this field. And and I want to really identify the fact that the folks uh, who are here on this panel, as well as many of you who are listening, is that we do crisis management and we do it well, and we've learned from one crisis to another. And, and I guess my last question for those who are interested in answering this is that, um, you know, how have some of the past crises that uh, you have had to manage actually helped you in terms of this? And where is this potentially a, a, a different crisis? So uh, anyone who wants to start, you can take yourself off mute. Go
3: ahead, Keane. Sorry, I'm about to. (laughs) Apologies. Um, No worries. So I think in my role and and with my tenure here at Northeastern, it it, it honestly has been the relationships that have been built amongst the different, amongst the different departments. Um, You know, we've worked really hard to create that That pipeline of who do you go to who are your who are your contacts so that when you're anticipating something like this or when something has happened you know who to reach out to you know who your who your pillars are and you're thinking along the same lines of okay what what are the basic needs that we need to take care of how do we react how do we do the outreach and then how are we going to help these students move forward and it's not just the okay i met with you today and you know, good luck, you know, mm-hmm. send you on your way. And I, I think that it's all of those touch points that you, and, and we as, especially as student affairs, work just tremendously and tire, tirelessly to foster and to massage and to make sure that they are there. And it, it becomes a, I'm going to scratch your back, you scratch mine. And I think is we're very good about being able to, to extend that beyond just the student affairs uh, mm. realm. So we're going into the academic departments. We're going into some of those enrollment managed departments, such as financial services, office of global services, whatever they're called at these different places. Um, and again, I'm speaking now from a large institution Uh, perspective. I worked at small institutions, um, but I'm speaking from that large institution where I don't do everything. There are days I feel like I do, but I don't do everything such as Orlena or Jessa does right now. Um, I'm not sure if Ken has an opinion on this, but I'd also love to hear from the other panelists.
0: Ken, do you have anything? And then we're going to let the other panelists to jump in.
4: Yeah, you know, this feels a lot for me. Like, and I, this is how I know how old I am. Uh, this feels a lot like where we were after Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a circumstance where, in effect, we had these students who were coming to us uh, from all walks of life who uh, had experienced tremendous loss. Uh, in my case, we also took on some students from Tulane in our school, so mm-hmm. it was like we were having to deal with people who were fleeing uh, and traumatized as a part of that too. And, you know, there was a lot of politics around Katrina as well that we had to contend with, educate people about, and we had to just make sure that we could do a big, big amount of caretaking assessment. And, um, and we were in crisis mode for a significant, uh, time. So this feels a lot like Katrina for me. Yeah.
0: That's it's interesting what we pull our our perspective off of Orlena or Jessa. Do you have anything uh, you would like to add as we close out the show? Um, I
2: think from my perspective, because I am a small office, small program in a small institution, I would say that the advocation of our inclusion, meaning the office's inclusion, or at least our consultation in developing crisis management solutions at the college level has probably been the most important thing that we could put forth because 10 times to one in a small institution that the international piece will get somehow and sometimes overlooked. Mm. Uh, And through the pandemic, um, and through other crises that we have, I think what has bubbled to the surface is that this office has a purpose. It has there's a reason why you have this office on campus. Yep. Um, yep. And yep. there's the reason why those people are who they are in those offices. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think that I also believe that clear and consistent communications has saved us intensely with our students, but also our faculty and our staff. Um, and then sustained and consistent collaboration and communication with higher administration, it, division leaders, and even congressional leadership at, at a time like this is just critical. I, I don't think I could do this without, without their assistance and without them supporting me and this office in doing the work that we're doing. But then again, I think the last thing that's absolutely critical, and this has just been sh- shining through all over the place is this real creation of a sense of well-being and safety? And mm-hmm. dare I use the term family yep. in our small international community? Um, mm-hmm. Because this is so important, and I think um, Keen, you talked about this a little bit. The connections, that connection being so important, especially during war, natural disasters, unfriendly immigration policies, hate crimes, all this kind of stuff. We now have this sort of, if you will, safe space on campus. And even in the worst, the absolute worst days, we have students coming in. But even in the happier times, we have students coming in. And that's, I think, what makes this, this war and this invasion, um, I'm not going to say better because that's not the right word, but I guess more to- not, not even tolerable. It's not even the word I'm looking for, but I think it at least gives somebody a space to be in where they can just let loose and they know that it's there.
0: They have a connection to someone who can actually uh, listen to them and feel that they're being supported, uh, which is in such a difficult time. Orlina, last, you're the last person. Uh, make it work.
1: <laughs> I just wanted to add what um, other others have shared before me, that it's very important not to politicize our students, not to pol- politicize our operations, be supportive and inclusive of all impacted by this conflict but also build sustainable structures that we can support students, faculty and staff and community members who are impacted by other uh, war conflicts around the world and natural disasters around the world. The work continues.
0: Oh, that's a perfect way to end the show. I want to thank uh, Orlina. I want to thank Keen. I want to thank Ken. And I want to thank Jessa for their time being here for such an important show. I hope you all uh, will join me uh, next week, uh, March 16th at 12 noon uh, to discuss reimagining residents' life with the team from George Washington University. And if you are going to see me at NASPA, please at me on the shoulder and say hello. Uh, thank you all for being here with office hours with Dr. DeVoe. Have a great weekend, everybody, and, uh, be well and peace.